In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizens Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are blessed with a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him everywhere he goes, Raymond Wong Jr. Thank you. Thank you. Let's get wild. Hmm. Ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, we are still in season two. This is episode number 28, and we're embarking on a series of topics we are labeling Back to Basics. And as Ray so astutely pointed out, this episode specifically is going to be about rewilding. Very excited. I feel I feel wild already. Well, it's very wild because we're going to get personal. We're going to talk about your property, your yard, your sense of space. We're going to get up in your business. So our goal, um, our goal with this episode today is to cover a little bit about what is it? What is rewilding? Why do we care about it? Um, we have some passion around this idea. And what's a citizen to do? So, you know, what's the point? Why are we bringing this up and talking about it with you all? I can't wait to dig in. So, Ray, do you want to kick us off with telling us a little bit about what what is rewilding? I'm going to take us back in time to the American ideals, the founding of America, and first to get us started. Because rewilding, I think, is only in play because we try to tame the wild. There's been an obsession with the American ideal and even the human ideal to tame that which is untamable, including nature around us. And so even Washington brought in this ideal of the front yard, large front yard bowling green, uh, nicely manicured grass lawn. And this is an ideal that's pervasive in the American dream. You see everyone with these large manicured grass lawns and, and that's what you have when you've made it. And this is the ideal of breaking away from those old, traditions uh, and, and wrong traditions, basically letting the earth exist as it should and getting away from this, maybe giving, I'm going to say it simply, giving you your weekends back, perhaps. You're not manicuring. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's a, it's a movement esoterically. It's a movement away from monoculture towards diversity, right? Biodiversity. Yes. Yes, we're not all, and that's the strange thing to myself in Arizona, uh, where we are an arid desert climate, uh, we have all of these large grass lawns, we have these, uh, we have the golf courses and such, it's, it's not natural, it's not supposed to exist. In fact, every season in Arizona, we have to change the grass seeds and bring in a different species because it dies off when the season changes. We have two seasons, summer and less summer. And when that season changes, we have to actually replace all the grass in Arizona. It, it can't survive. It's not sustainable. I want to read a bit from something I pulled up on the internet. So if you simply go to google.com and you type in rewilding and hit enter, <clears throat> the response you get is that it's a form of environmental conservation and ecological restoration that has significant potential to increase biodiversity, create self-sustainable environments, and mitigate climate change. 
Rewilding aims to do this by reintroducing lost animal species to natural environments, and I would add lost um, plant species, any native living organism, which probably goes down into the soil, right? Because the soil contains organisms as well, and typically those will change in relation to what's planted in the soil or what's recently died right in the soil and it's become fertilizer. Um, but yeah, rewilding, as Ray, as you were saying, is just restoring the native habitat, which has many benefits that were just laid out. I'll just say in California briefly, just to segue and, and maybe give a, an example on the ground here. Um, I, and I, I apologize, I'll have to look up and see the names of the organizations that are involved in, in rewilding California, but we've been experimenting it. Um, doing this here for for quite a while because the grass species that are pervasive, the rolling golden hills, that grass that grows all over everything, is a non-native species from Europe. I believe it's an Italian grass, and it came in and had no natural predator, and it and it forced out all the native species. This is problematic in California because the grass that's here now is highly prone to fire. It's a highly flammable grass. It did not evolve in this environment. Um, the grass it displaced, that it replaced, was evolved with fire in the environment and was much, um, you know, more resistant uh, to fire and was also drought resistant. So it, it's interesting because we've lost the diversity um, in a lot of the wild plants that are here. And you can, you can see the effects there. That kind of draws a little bit of a bridge to the climate right? Because if the climate's getting worse and we're going to have more fires, we should be, we should have plants that are more resistant to fire. That's, that's what makes sense. Just as an anecdotal, anecdotal example. And it's, it's something that really needs to be examined, especially in uh, unsustainable climates like Arizona. We do win, even though California is competing for less sustainability just by population growth, sheer population. But Arizona is not sustainable based on just being an arid desert. So when you consider that, it, it makes sense that we may have to lead the charge in regards to this effort to return us to something a little more sustainable, a little more wild. And I know a lady scholar here in, in Phoenix area who actually has rewilded her yard. And every year she mulls her uh, Palo Verde into flower. And she, so she pulls from the land her own yard small plot in, in downtown Phoenix, but still pulling from it. it looks a mess, but it's alive. Hmm. Yeah. And there's ways to manicure. Um, I mean, rewilding is really just about the selection of the plants, right? The genealogy or whatever you want to call it and making sure that it's native. So it's, it's far more sustainable than say grass in the desert as an example, right? You want that, you want that native plant life that knows how to survive in that environment on its own. And it's very low maintenance, low water generally, right? If you're talking about arid environments. And it also helps to sustain and, and develop a healthy local ecosystem because there's other animals that depend on those plants, right? There's byproducts to those plants being present or animals like beavers, for instance, right? That really change their environments when when they're present, especially in environments that they were evolved to be in. It's very exciting. And then, you know, back to the Bowling Green comment in Arizona, the Bowling Green thing is kind of random 
selection. Like we, that was just a, a cultural decision that was made. It was not an informed conscientious decision, right? This and, is a, it's just, it's just for, fr frankly, for grandeur, the idea that you have your house at this extended end of a large driveway and green. And that was, that was this large driveway and green, manicured green is, is, is it's in every estate, every estate, and now even our mini estates, right? This, this idea that you try to put a yard proceeding, um, that's just a strange cultural ideal for us. It, I mean, perhaps if it was a garden, it would be more useful. Definitely raised garden beds with edible produce <laughs> or not just beautiful produce, right? The reason why we use the raised beds is because we want to control the soil that our produce that we're going to eat grows in. You don't want it just growing out of the random ground that's probably radioactive who knows <laughs> well i guess you you brought up a good point of that manicured uh that manicured uh, rewilding so just as an example not perfect but disneyland you know tomorrowland one of their things is if you've ever been to disneyland in tomorrowland all of the plants are edible in that part so when you're in that part of disneyland you can eat anything any of the shrubs or the plants or the flowers they're all supposed to be edible now i don't know if that's the case anymore but that was the idea, right? And that and that would that's how it was designed, uh, and that's that's something that could be that that's that's a possibility instead of what we have right now, which I'm really worried about, Michael. Because can we just say there is a drastic shift, um, especially in Los Angeles? I don't know about um, your region, but Los Angeles and Arizona towards astroturf, so replacing mm. actual grass. Yeah with just astroturf and that to me is insane in regards to micro microplastic issues I, I, it doesn't seem sustainable i was fooled in la i thought they were rewilding a bit because i saw more green and they laughed at me they said no that's just Artificial that's just turf yeah was, on the public spaces mm -hmm. heavenly greens oh i shouldn't have said that that's marketing there's a company that's the name of a company that does that for homes in California. Yeah. 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 Let's, uh, let's just cover your yard in plastic and let your kids and dogs and everybody play in that as it, yeah. as it off gas and flakes off into the environment. The environment. And so that's children. where we're headed, right? So that's what we're trying to say, folks. Our call <laughs> to action here is that we have to rewild because everyone seems headed towards a plastic future, which can, it's not sustainable. It, it, it really isn't. First, the place it's went from wood to plastics, and now the yard. And, and that's what we're saying. We're not, there, there has to be, and I think that's the challenge here is that this obsession with having a well manicured presentation to keep up the airs. Keeping up with the Joneses, putting that best foot forward, <laughs> all the cliches. Um, so, you know, there's, there's several benefits to this rewilding thing. I think we've we've described it and we'll probably continue to talk about it in the other back to basics topics that we come up with because we'll be talking more about food and water and all of those things. And rewilding is a function of that because um, wild, local native species usually use what's 
what the environment supports as far as resources, right? And then returns to that environment, makes that environment more hospitable to life. So it doesn't use more water than it should. And when it eventually does die, it returns useful nutrients. And, you know, it, it, it's the ecology. That's the circle of life that needs to happen. And we benefit from it, A, because we also need water. So instead of competing with our lawns for drinking water, we should just make sure we're getting ourselves drinking water and let the lawn take care of itself with what's available in the environment. And I'm when I say lawn, it could be dirt, it could be rock, you know, whatever whatever that space is filled with and then native plants. Um, but then there's, so there's the water use aspect, <clears throat> excuse me, in farming, I mentioned monoculture earlier. There's also the side effect and, and you're, you might bring this up also, you mentioned people operating on their plots of land. When it comes to produce and growing food and things like that, diversity is critical, right? Like in this weak, global chain that keeps having disruptions and we are going to experience inflation because of the disruptions in global supply chains because of drought in California in the behind the scenes we're talking about you know the Klamath territory in northern California we're talking about Hoover all of these stressed water systems that are shutting down they don't work like they used to because of climate change that's going to affect food availability California the breadbasket can't produce the food it did this year it can't produce the food it did last year, this year. It's it's going to be interesting to see. There's going to be increases in prices for various things, disruptions in oil, supply, et cetera. That's a side. Sorry, that just people are going to be talking a lot about inflation. And for the most part, it's going to happen, but not not from a money supply perspective. I'm, I'm going to leave that alone. Sorry. Yeah. I, just, I, we, we, just so we're clear that we are against this inflation talk. The, the inflation that's based on stimulus, that's a clear thing we do not agree with. Okay. Uh, Inflation is a supply chain issue. Yeah. Commodity prices are going up for other reasons. And, you know, rewilding is a way to to make a more resilient system that is less impacted by these issues that we're going to see because we're planting food that requires way more water than we have available or will have available potentially in the same places we do in the future. Um, that's another case. We'll talk about that around water because we need a national water system not one in Northern California in the desert. And anyway, um, they use less water, which is really important for a lot of reasons. And it makes more stable crops. So corn, I mean, we're talking about people's yards, but I also want to talk a little bit about food because there's so many types of corn. There's so many types of soy. There's so many types of tomato, potato, you name it. And they're all adapted to different types of environments for different reasons. And if one crop fails because of drought, another one may succeed. And we need to be, we need a diverse food chain, not one type of corn for ethanol, one type of corn for popping, and that's it, right? Right. right. No, that's, that's marketing. And that's, we get back to our, we've separated ourselves from the wild and that's what rewilding is. It's bringing it back. And you may be shocked at what you produce in your own yard. You may be surprised once you figure out what can grow natively. There is a, I can, I, I'm gonna mess it up, but it's like the tepas bean or there's a type of bean that grows and it's drought resistant and it's perfect for Arizona. And the natives, it was their staple. It's how they survived. And these arid regions did have native Americans. They were able to survive during these drought periods which have always been a challenge uh, for the region. So if you think about how they were able to sustain and survive throughout those ages until colonialism knocked out the civilizations. 
those native species, we just have to bring them back. You know, but the good news is I think Michael can enlighten us. We've got the seeds, right? We've got native species out there still somewhere. We do. We do. Thank you, Ray. So um, that's a good segue to seed banks. So there's organizations around the country that are um, promoting rewilding and, and trying to help facilitate anybody locally who is interested in this movement and supplying them with what they might need, albeit information or seeds, even to experiment with their own plantings. Um, at the time we publish the episode, I'll have more information. I'll include more information so people can follow up on that and figure out, okay, who are these organizations that are supporting rewilding? But just to talk a little bit about them on air here, um, for instance, I'll give a shout out to, if it's still in place, um, the public library in Tucson, Arizona is one of the few public libraries in the country that actually facilitates a seed bank. And they have literally a bank of seeds for all kinds of diverse plant life, edible or otherwise, that will thrive natively in and around the landscape of Tucson, Arizona. And so if you go to the seed bank, the way it works, it's really cool. It's, it's literally, it's like a library. It's in the library for a reason, <laughs> similar concept. You go in and you check out a batch of seeds you plant the seeds and what you've committed to do, you're not returning the same seeds you're taking, you're returning seeds from what you grow to the bank to pay it forward. So you take the seeds home, you grow your plants and your plants, because these are naturally occurring plants, they produce their own seeds. Unlike manufactured patented plants that come out of Archer, Daniel, Midlands, whatever the companies are, these big agri companies that design seeds that can't reproduce so that you always have to buy your seed from them. This is the entire opposite concept. These seeds are plentiful. They, they reproduce themselves. And what you do is you take some of the seeds from what you grew and you return them, like I said, to the, to the seed bank at the um, library. And they're having a lot of success with that. It's a free program, which is really great. Obviously, it's covered by local tax dollars. Um, and that's just one example of a resource that's available to local communities to start experimenting with this in their own backyards. You know, you can have a raised flower bed. There's no requirements or ordinances, I suspect, on the plants necessarily as much as there are on painting your house. Um, unless you're going to change your home to put planters or something, that might be a problem. But in your backyard, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're pretty safe. <laughs> that will be a challenge, right? Because we, the problem is that probably our city and local governments don't really support, nor your associations, militant neighborhood associations restrict that type of practice, right? So we'll really have to look at... Um, it's strange, like people love democracy. There's all these people that love freedom, They'll yet they live in these micro, <laughs> micro uh, communisms where th there's all these weird rules in these neighborhoods and like freaks. So yes, go to uh, go, you know, if you can't do it in the front, focus in the back and then work on changing your city government because the city governments have tons of land they could be rewilding. And I'll just preach it. Uh, the Phoenix has the Rio Salado project because Tempe decided to build a big lake. That's what they did with their, what was left of the, the, the salt river. They did that. But Phoenix said, well, what if we rewild 
it is a great example of how to responsibly use those resources and, and return the land. And they've had great success. Return of, nat of, of native birds and species that haven't been seen in generations like the Autobahn. So they actually have the Autobahn Society building a habitat center that would have never been there if they hadn't have tried to rewild. And it's, it's a complex process and it took ages and nobody really knows about it still. I think it's the best kept secret um, in, in a lot of ways in Phoenix, but it's, it's, it's worthwhile. I agree. That project's been on a slow burn for a long time. Um, yeah, because rewilding takes time, <laughs> especially in the desert. You know, time moves slower, I think, a little yeah, bit more slowly. Especially during a drought. Yeah, it's not helping. Especially during a drought. Water is everything. I think we're going to take advantage of this opportunity to have a break and hear a word from our sponsor. Here's a message from our sponsor, Citizen Do Good. Even though you've heard it before, it's still true. The war is never over and every battle counts. I know you are tirelessly demonstrating good citizenry on the daily through actions and words, and you donate your time and your money to causes that count. Thank you. The time is now to deeply re-examine our current implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day. We are a proud sponsor of the Citizens Prerogative Podcast, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power of change for us all. At Citizen Do Good, we want to empower all citizens to participate in their republic in a reconstructive way. With that goal in mind, we need your help to stay on mission and grow this community. Please rate the podcast with five stars on iTunes through the app on the web or on your device. If you don't feel like you can give us five stars, let us know why on our sponsor's Facebook page, Citizen Do Good. Like and follow it to help out even further. Also, make sure you join our newsletter at citizendogood.com. You'll get updates every couple of months on all of our antics, not just the podcast. While you're there, check out the shop, which has your favorite merch and provides a way to make a one-time contribution to help us pay for production and for hosting. Please share any suggestions you have directly through the Contact Us page. Thanks for your support. So I want to kind of jump back again and just recap a couple of things, you know, so why do we care? You know, you really made it the point about the food source and kind of fixing that. Um, I want to be very clear that climate change is the, the greatest challenge we have upcoming. And, and a lot of us probably think, what can I do as I sit in my yard next to my pool? You know, what can I, what can I do? And th there's even people that have turned their pools into ponds. They've turned their pools into actual living functioning ponds and converted them instead. So you, there's a lot that can be done. I'm not saying you have to sacrifice your full pool because I, I need to go swimming as much as the next, as the next person. But what I'm saying is that you if you do believe carbon emissions is an issue and climate change is present, then you do have a little bit more power than just getting an electric vehicle or, or just recycling, right? We're, we're saying that there's the possibility to impact the carbon footprint. So why do you care? It's because of the future of the climate. It's because of the food source. And frankly, it's because of community. Because in a sense, we've lost that sense of community. But imagine if you have something to trade, if you have something to give away or, or barter for, it'll actually create connections or needs between our own neighbors, which we've kind of lost in some ways. But maybe that's not why you care. Mike, I'll go to you and say, you know, wh why do you care? 
I think those are all really great reasons. And I, excuse me, I hadn't even considered the idea of, you know, community building, which is critical. I mean, any, any community, especially when you moved West, I mean, you're, you're all dependent on each other. um, And you still see it today in rural areas across the United States. And so, you know, we, we are all reliant on each other one way or another. Like every time you go to the grocery store, read the label, figure out where that food came from. Okay. If you don't feel like you're dependent on anyone else, because <laughs> that food didn't get to the grocery store by no chance. <laughs> um, we're, we're a part of, you know, a bigger system and, and no matter how you try to divorce yourself from it, it, it won't work. And thank you, Ray, for that personal call to action, because there are things that we can do. And it's not just don't fly, you know, just don't fly across the world on vacation twice a year, which you're going to hear more about. I mean, some people, you know, can afford to take uh, airplanes across the world for vacation. Well, maybe we're going to have to do a little bit less of that. Um, And maybe we're also going to have to start planting victory gardens again. Um, That just popped into my head. It was something we were doing way back in the day during the wars and everything, like when we lost, you know, we didn't have enough people necessarily to work farms or there was famine because of Dust Bowl or whatnot, right? People were encouraged to plant kale in their yards. <laughs> kale is a hardy, resilient plant. It's made a comeback. It's not just uh, it's not just garnish at the salad buffet. <laughs> we're turning it into a tasty meal. Um, that's a hardy crop. I digress. Um, but yeah, I totally see that, that community benefit. I'm, you know, I also think about the macro effects of things because you know, in, in California, we're not going to stop wildfires by not starting them. We're going to stop wildfires by stop fueling them with the plants that burn, um, just as an example. So I, I think about, you know, there's a lot of costs that are built into the system today that we don't acknowledge or pay attention to, whether it be trash or the fact that recycling doesn't work, um, you know, all the way down to bees. You know, we're, we're talking about planting gardens for pollinators. You mentioned, Ray, um, Rio Salado has become a stop away station or a waypoint for birds that are migrating. Um, we, you know, the, the more we change the landscape or the more the landscape even changes from climate change, I mean, both of those things are happening, have always been happening from our perspective. We are disrupting those types of ecosystems for other species. And we don't know in what way the lack of those species affects the availability of water or food or anything for us. Back to that point of life begetting life and creating conditions conducive to life. It's amazing. We see these keystone species in these keystone events where just like a tipping point, the presence or absence of one plant or species changes an entire ecosystem. It's, it's amazing. So the presence of your pollinator garden or your vegetable garden or whatever you choose to plant, you know, is going to help the greater good of the world. Um, and start community conversations because maybe you guys can get some community, we can get some community gardens going as well. And, and those will be conscientious about what types of plants are being planted there. Um, native, hopefully rewilded type species, but also these empty plots of land, you know, like Ray was saying, yeah. let's see if we can get our, our local governments to start um, introducing things that should be there, native cover so that the dust isn't coming up off of the earth, <laughs> right? Every time that there's a monsoon or a wind, just as an example for the Southwest. Um, so for each of these environments, there's a lot of 
a lot of value rewilding can bring and and it and pays manicured, itself forward mm -hmm. manicured like you said i mean and this is like the community thing it's actually part of our action plan. I, I, I just bridged off of that, but we have to start a community conversation. Think about your neighborhood. Think about your neighbor. Just envision everyone. Unfortunately, we're so cookie cutter as a nation. Almost everyone has the same setup with these yards and the borders and the square box. But what if instead of you having a fence, you had a hedge, a native hedge, you know, that was well manicured and you and your neighbor, maybe they don't take care of their side. That's their problem. But your side it's nice and clean and you you create that border more naturalistic or maybe there is no border maybe we say goodbye to fences and we just return to having pens for our animals where needed for our dogs but then having an open environment where we can be wild and we can be natural again mm -hmm. and let the let let the let the environment flourish around us every era like this is the strange thing Rich people have it, ladies and gentlemen. Rich people live on the edges of the mountains and on the reserves and at the edge of a hill, right? Most wealthy communities have all of that wilding kind of built into some of them. The best communities I've seen. This, what I'm saying is we all could have it with the land we control today. Definitely. Yeah, and then seeing what we can do to open up our, our localities um, to rewilding opportunities as well, whether it be your town or municipality or a community garden, um, maybe not just your property. And then I, I think of this also from a nutrition perspective. Um, for people, I think about people back to the victory garden, right? So if you're growing your own vegetables in your own raised bed with soil that you've either created through your own composting or you've purchased through, you know, a local co-op or whatever community group that that has supplies available for um, farming and whatnot. In any case, you control your nutrition. You control your nutrients, and I can't emphasize enough how important nutrients are to a human body. And it's weird because it sounds like a public service <laughs> announcement, like it does a body good. But we've, that's another area that we've really taken for granted, just going to the grocery store and not, not just not looking at the label, but considering if you look at the label and you know how far it came to get to that grocery store, you don't then think this must not be a nutritious piece of food. This apple was not ripe when it was picked. And if the apple wasn't ripe when it was picked, then it does not have a full complement of nutrients, folic acids, et cetera, that you can't get from, you know, your body, you, you, there are certain things that we can, fundamental nutrients we can only get from food, the way we're designed. And, and fresh. it's gotta be fresh and, and ripe. That's when most of those most nutritious aspects of a fruit or a vegetable come into being is in the last moments of ripening. <laughs> That's when you're getting a full concentration of what it is that your body actually needs. Otherwise it's just filler. Otherwise you're eating sawdust. Um, you know, and that's problematic because it's not something we know how to measure. We don't measure it. We don't report on it. It's not a, there's no nutrition label for it. It's just something you have to understand from a science perspective. And if you read books by people like Michael Pollan in defense of food, et cetera, um, the science studies from universities have shown that mass production monoculture of agriculture has reduced the 
quality of the food we have available today, even though the calories are abundant, they're empty. And so rewilding is another opportunity for us to reclaim our food for ourselves and forget this old school industrialized BS that apparently is rigid and open to hacking anyway. Um, so say goodbye to that. It's another, another centralized an example of centralization gone wrong, gone too far, I think. Vertical yes. integration. Well, the market will adjust, right? The problem is the market has no competition. And I think rewilding says that we can compete. And, and I, we were even talking about, to close this out, I was even speaking about the utopia, right? Maybe one day we get to re we rewilding at such a point where we compete with theme parks, right? We compete with that same energy that you get when you go into a well-manicured theme park or, or event um, or, or botanical garden, right? These beautiful botanical gardens that we pay tons of money to be members of. Well, what if your entire life is a botanical garden and they have to compete? That just means better botanical gardens and better theme parks. So I think that once we change the market, and again, this is the, this is the same thing for politics, right? We are asking you to nurture your political life and we're also asking you to nurture your, your basic life. This is a this is a holistic approach, hopefully, in some ways, to building a better, better America. Hey, to build a more perfect union. I didn't come up with this. I'm just trying to live it. Amen. I think that's a great way to close us out. We have been your hosts. Thank you so much to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr. And thank you, Mr. Piscatelli. This wasn't just wild. It was rewilding it's been something something wild that's for sure <laughs> for more information on this and other episodes head over to citizenduga.com and click on podcast while you're there hit up our contact us page and leave a comment we'd love to hear from the community special thanks to you our listeners we save the best for last you are the best and have been for years thank you for your support we know it's painful and we love you Intro music sampled from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty-free through Fisleyan Studios, Inc. 